asked us, what is the goal of Romans? It's that at the end of Romans, by the time we get through this, each and every one of us would have a greater understanding of the grace of God, the goodness of God, but also the judgment of God and the justice of God, that it all works together, but it's all in grace. It's all in love that God has, uh, that God does what he does. And so it's so important that we approach this from that lens, okay? So, uh, so one, two, and three, Romans one, two, and three, really has been talking about uh, the gospel, which I'll explain in a second, but, but really it's the gospel really reveals God's righteousness. It reveals his justice, and subsequently it reveals our unrighteousness. All right, it's sort of like a contrast thing. If you, if you have white and black, right, the, the brighter the white is, the darker the black is. Look, have you guys ever bought a TV before? You know, like the depth of the darkness in the TV is actually what makes the light in the TV look so good. Little free thing there in case you're looking for a TV, you know? Uh, it's in my head because I was looking at some of the incredible TVs they have at Best Buy right now. So yeah, it's a shameless plug. Sony's doing really well. It's really good stuff. So, but it's expensive. So that's why I did not buy it. Um, <laughs> But you know what I'm saying, that contrast. So the more that we see God's goodness and his righteousness, the more that we see our unrighteousness. And so we've been learning about that, but it's all the fact that the gospel reveals the righteousness of God. And for some of you, you're like, what is the gospel? Well, the gospel is the good news of Jesus. It's the fact that Jesus came to this earth representing God. He was God in flesh and he came and he took on the penalty of sin on himself and died on the cross. And so his pure blood was shed to redeem us, to pay the price of sin, of the sin nature that we've all been born with. And we believe that. We believe that we're all born unrighteous, that we're born apart from God. You know, that we can be good, we can act good, but it doesn't mean that goodness equals righteousness. And so, 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 you know, as we're, as we're uh, apart from God, we've got to be reconciled back to God. And so that conversation about being reconciled back to God is the conversation about our condition. And so when we talk about justification, we're talking about us being justified before God, talking about the condition of sin that we've been born with. But then after that takes place, the conversation shifts into the conduct of a believer. And a lot of people, they, they get the conduct of a person before the condition of the person. Person, and that's where you find works-based Christianity. That's where you find people trying to attain some level of holiness to get God. And the whole thing is that our religion, what we believe, operates completely different. Our God reached out to us. Our God did all of the work. Our God provided a way for us to come unto him freely. Everything else, guess what? How good are you acting? How good are you, are you doing what you need to do? Because that's how you attain the goodness of whatever God it is that you're serving. So that's why we're really leaning into this. And that's also why a lot of people have struggled in their walks with God is because they have this works-based mentality. And once you have that works-based mentality of attaining some sort of level with God before you actually come to him broken, uh, what happens is you live in condemnation. You live in condemnation. And also you're accidentally trampling upon the whole, the, the grace of God you know, not even meaning to, out of good intentions, but it's completely wrong. And so, so anyway, we're going to learn this and we are learning this in the book of Romans. You don't, don't put the cart before the horse. And Paul is really leaning in to faith, justification by faith. And it's really a wonderful story. So anything that you hear today that might sound 
uh, kind of heavy or, you know, in the last three weeks, let's be honest, there's been some heavy moments, right? But whenever you're looking at it through the lens of the grace of God and you're understanding it from the right angle, it actually fills you with joy. It actually fills you with confidence in God, not fear, improper fear of him. So, uh, so let's keep digging in. And today, again, we're in chapter four, and uh, we're going to be talking about Abraham, uh, who he was and how he was justified justified before God. We're going to be talking about circumcision. All right. So that's going to be fun. And uh, we're going to talk about where it comes from, what it represents. All right. We're not going to get too graphic with it, obviously, but, uh, but it is a reality. And here's the deal, y'all. Circumcision, if you don't understand what circumcision represents in the Bible and how it applies to us, then whenever you read the New Testament, the whole Bible, whenever you read it, you're not going to understand why that's all throughout the Bible. It's just sort of like, that's weird. I'm going to keep moving on, you know, or it's just, some medical procedure just for the sake of being a medical procedure. And it's not. It actually represents something here in, uh, in especially Romans 4. And then we're also going to talk about the promise that Abraham received from God and why it matters for us. And so again, this is a letter to the church in Rome. Uh, That's what the book of Romans is. And it's the apostle Paul. He's writing these letters. And, uh, and just one last thing before we jump in, there's really two different types of groups, uh, two different types of people in the church at Rome. There's Jews and Gentiles. Jews, look, they've been raised with the, 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 the law of God and understanding how to operate as God's chosen people. And they've always done that. They've been taught that for, for many, many, many years. And the Gentiles are sort of new to this thing. And, uh, they, they, they're all in faith, man. They're like, this is great. Jesus died. Uh, you know, man, we have full access to God as much as the Jews do. And this is great news. And the Jews are kind of like, hey, we've been taught to live this way and you need to live this way too. And there's conflict around what's going on. And uh, look, let's not, let's not look down upon the Jews in this scenario, because let's be honest, we would be the same exact way. If we had been taught and programmed to think a certain way, many of us actually have been taught to live in religious ways that don't actually, it's not really the heart of God. And so whenever we hear a way that's so freeing and open and, and life-giving, it's almost like, what's the catch? Like, what, you, you, like, we have to do more in order to, and, and Jesus came and said, hey guys, look, I'm gonna do it. <laughs> I'm gonna die and I'm gonna be raised again for your benefit. It's a, it's a wonderful story. So, so again, let's, let's go ahead and lean into chapter four, verse one. It says, what then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? What does Abraham have to say about all of this that we're talking about in chapters one through three? If in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credit to him as righteousness. So what Paul is going to do is he's going to go back to Abraham, which is the father of the faith, which we'll explain in a second. He is sort of like where everything started for the Jews. They always point back to Abraham. And so he's like, okay, I've used these other illustrations and these other things to sort of prove the point of why the gospel is real and why it matters and how we should live it out. He's like, now I'm going to go back to one of the, the key people in the faith, and it's Abraham. It's Abraham. And so, uh, so who's Abraham? And some of you do know you were in children's church, right? And you know, Father Abraham had many sons. How many of you have no idea what song I just sang? You, you never heard it before. It's all right. It's all right. It was a fun Sunday school song, and uh, it is drilled into the very core of my being. 
<laughs> we sang it every single week. I didn't really know exactly what I was singing, but now I do. It's here in Romans 4. Uh, but, but who is Abraham? Well, Abraham, you, you'll see him first mentioned in Genesis 11, but really the story picks up in Genesis 12. And what it is is uh, God calls Abraham to leave the land that he's in. Haran, and uh, he promised Abram that he will guide him, that he will make him a great nation, that he will bless him, I love this, he will bless him to be a blessing to other people, which from the beginning we see that we are blessed as people of God, not just to hoard our blessings, but to bless other people. And so if you feel like the blessings of God end with you, you're wrongly mistaken. It's actually you're blessed to bless others. And from the get-go, God was like, I'm gonna make sure that people understand that. I wanna bless you, but it's so that you're a blessing to other people. And that, uh, that God would bless those who bless him and curse those who dishonor him. And we all love that. It's like, I'm blessed, so don't curse me, because. God's got my back, right? And uh, that's basically what's going on here. God's, God comes to Abraham and he says, look, I want you to leave. I want you to step out from where you are, but I want you to know that I got your back. And I mean, that's easy for us sitting in 2019, knowing the rest of the story mostly to say yes, but it was not that way for Abram. It was a risk. He was actually settled. Things were good. And you know, he, he's got this land and God says, step out. When we fast forward to Genesis 15, we, uh, we now know that Abram, by the way, his name was Abram, and then it gets changed to Abraham. So if, you, if I say one name or the other, you guys now know that that's the same guy. But, uh, but he goes out on a journey. He steps out. And, uh, and then in chapter 15, God speaks to Abram again in a vision. And he tells him first off not to fear and that he's his shield, which many times in the Bible, whenever you see God or an angel approach somebody, there's always that moment of, hey, don't fear because um, I think there's just the physical fear of there's something standing in front of me that's, you know, a being. And so I think it's kind of scary. But on the other end, it was, hey, Abram, don't be afraid. Don't allow fear to come in and start messing up the faith that you're operating in, which is something that we can grab a hold to very easily. And uh, he says, hey, Abram, I'm your shield. And, uh, but Abram brings up the point that he has no son to inherit all that God is promising uh, because his wife is barren. His wife, Sarai, Sarai which ends up being Sarah, uh, is barren. And so he's like, God, these promises that you're giving me are wonderful, but who am I going to hand them off to? How am I really going to become a great nation and all these promises come true if it stops with me? All right. And so uh, God assures him that he and his wife would have a son. And so uh, very simply in verse six, it says, Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. So simply Abram said, yes, God, I believe you. And then God credited it to him as righteousness. That simple, that simple act, that simple faith move of just, yes, God, I trust in you. And that word credited, is, it's another word, uh, imputed. All right, or imputation, imputed righteousness. He credited it to Abram just simply upon that, which is a wonderful thing that really applies to us. And we'll kind of get to that more later. But Abram then asked God, how can he be sure that he'll also acquire the land that God was promising? Uh, he did all this very, very submittedly. He'd say sovereign Lord quite often, like sovereign Lord, how would I, sovereign Lord. And that's what he does here. So he's respectfully asking God, how do I know this is really going to happen. And so God creates a covenant with Abram. And uh, actually, what he does here is very interesting. Uh, he does something. Y'all know the term, let's cut a deal? 
Like this is sort of where it comes from. And what God told him to do was bring some animals and uh, just an array of animals and told Abram to cut the animals in half and lay them uh, next to each other with a kind of like an alley between them, a space between them. And what was gonna happen is, or what usually happens is the people that are entering into covenant, into this deal, would then walk between the animals. And, and basically what it represents is if I don't follow through in my end of the deal, may I be like this animal. Like, may, it's, it's a vow unto death. And so, so God's like, okay, look, I'm gonna enter into a vow with you, a covenant with you unto death. And uh, something even more interesting takes place is when it comes time for the, um, for the, I guess, the covenant to really be done, Abram falls into a deep sleep. And he actually falls asleep and, and it's, it's his vision and actually he, he gets some information about what's coming with his descendants. You ought to go read all of this, by the way. And, uh, but, but he's asleep. And while he's asleep, it says this in verse 17 of chapter 15, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch pass between these pieces. Verse 18, on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. I want you just for a moment to click over into like this poetic type of mode, instead of just, why is there a smoking pot, fire pot, you know? See what's going on here, all right? If you go forward to Exodus, we know that the children of Israel were guided and led through the wilderness by what? The pillar of fire and the cloud, right? Doesn't that sound very similar? It was God entering into covenant with himself, but Abram gets all the benefits of it. God's like, look, Abram, you actually have nothing to do with my faithfulness. I am going to be faithful to my word because it's who I am. And I think that's such a wonderful picture and something that we should carry into our relationship with God, knowing that we are justified and made right with him based upon this covenant right here, which we'll get to in a little bit, but it's so one-sided. It's so one-sided. Abram, yeah, he, he took the animals and he cut them and he laid them out, but at the end of the day, who had skin in the game when it came to the covenant? God. We're just the benefactors of it. Abraham's the benefactor of it. So it's a, it's a wonderful picture, and we'll just keep moving on because there's, we can go pretty deep with that. But, uh, but it's a one-sided covenant. So then we go forward to Genesis 16, and <laughs> we're not going to get into this as well. But in Genesis 16, we see Abram do what so many of us do, guys which he takes things into his own hand. His wife is barren, can't have a baby. So then Sarah ends up giving uh, Abram one of, his, uh, one of her servants. And so he sleeps with her and they have a baby, which, you know, Abram, right? Like, okay, I guess that I'll go ahead and, you know, right, just, some, just a dude and, uh, and just messes it all up, y'all. Let's be honest. If you know, if you studied, you know who Ishmael is and that's the, Isaac, all right, Sarah's son, Sarah and Abram's son together, that was the son of promise. Ishmael was not. But go read. Ishmael was still blessed. And, uh, and honestly, there's a lot of things today that are, we're still seeing the results of the hostility that's between Ishmael and Isaac even today. Um, it's really interesting, interesting things. But, but, but bottom line there is whenever we step into God's shoes, we lose. Abram stepped into God's shoes, said, I'm going to go ahead and make this covenant happen myself. And uh, it did not work out well. And so let's keep moving, though. Let's get back to some more encouraging things, right? Genesis 17, <laughs> God gives Abraham a sign of the covenant that he's made. And this is where circumcision comes into place. Now, this is like 13 or 14 years after 
he received the, uh, he, they actually entered into covenant together with the, the animals and all that I just talked about. We're fast forwarding, I mean, in two chapters, guys, we just skipped 13, 14 years of somebody's life. And it's so important that we realize that because what we think is somebody prayed or something happened and then and the next day God showed up and boom, it was done. And that's not the scenario here. And so, uh, but as, as a sign of the covenant, this, this, this process of circumcision was given to Abraham. And uh, it was a sign of the covenant. It was a sign of the covenant. I, I wanna make sure that I'm saying that it was a sign of the covenant, not the covenant. And really what happened is as God gave this seal of the covenant to Abraham, um, as time went on, it became so important to the Israelites or the Jews that it wasn't just a sign of the covenant to them, but, but rather it was the covenant. It was, it, it was the thing. So much so, let me read this to you. One belief that united the Jews was the centrality of circumcision and salvation. This mark was a matter of national identity and pride. Jews of all stripes believed that one could not be acceptable to the Lord without it. Many first century Jews had come to believe that no one who was circumcised could ever, would ever go to hell even if he failed to keep God's other commandments. It became the salvation, the covenant, not a sign of the covenant. And so that's why Paul spends so much time talking about circumcision and really what he's doing, he's destroying the construct that the Jewish people had um, uh, that was actually instituted by God with Abraham. So it was this good thing that then became the main thing. And Jesus came and completely flips everything upside down and people are having trouble making the shift. Jesus changed everything. And for these Jews, he even changed their beloved circumcision. It, it, it wasn't, what it was intended to be, and it's, they're bringing light to it. And so, so we skipped past chapters uh, in two and three, some verses in chapters two and three, if you, you guys remember this in the last couple of weeks. And, um, but Paul said in Romans three, that God will justify the circumcised and the circumcised through the same faith, right? So again, you're starting to see why these verses actually matter so much and what Paul was saying. And in Romans two, he said, this is chapter uh, two, verse 28, 29. A person is not a Jew who is one only outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not by the written code. That's like an, an atom bomb going off in their society. Okay, for us, we're like, What's the big deal? For them, it's a very, very big deal. So they're reading this with their mouths open. You know, did he just say, did he just say it doesn't matter anymore? Like, this guy's nuts, you know? And other people are like, we've been saying it the whole time, guys. You've been focusing on it too much. It's, just, it's, a, it's all through faith, right? It's, it's the sign of the covenant. It's not the thing. And so you've got these, these things going on. So we're gonna lean back into that and how it applies to us in a moment. But with this mindset, let's now read verse nine in chapter four. Is this blessedness only for the circumcised, the Jews, or also for the uncircumcised, the Gentiles? We've been saying that Abraham's, Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. And then, look, they all agreed with this, by the way, all the Jews, they knew what the Bible said. They knew that it said that Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. There's no arguing about that. So he's like, hey, by the way, what he's doing, I call it judo with words. So, so Paul gets their momentum like coming this way. And then all of a sudden he like hip tosses them over and just like, bam, gotcha. So that's what he's doing here. He's like, hey, okay, we all agree with this, right? They're like, yeah, 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 yeah. He said, under what circumstances was it credited? What was the circumstances? Was it after he was circumcised or before? It was not after, but before. 
And he received circumcision as a sign, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So then he is the father of all who believe but have not been circumcised in order that righteousness might be credited to them. This is good news. And he is then also the father of the circumcised who not only are circumcised, but who also follow in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Abraham really was a great example of showing obedience uh, through faith or showed his faith through his obedience uh, before he ever had proof that God would follow through. I think it's something so important to know that all the promises that God gave Abraham, Abraham had nothing to know <laughs> whether or not it was gonna happen. But what did he do? He stepped out in faith. He stepped out in faith and there was this trust. So Paul summarizes that circumcision and uncircumcision isn't the sign that someone is justified and righteous before God, but it's their faith that accomplishes this. That's great, Jordan. Awesome, great job, man. How does this apply to us? I wanna read this to you and I wanna ask you to really be open to this because this is how this applies. Most of us are unlikely to think that we'll automatically make it to heaven if we have been circumcised. We would never, we don't, most of us in this room have never even put those two things together, all right? However, professing Christians, most of us in all locations watching online, all of us, professing Christians are prone to think that they are right before God because they go to church, because they're baptized, because they do good things, because they give to the poor, right? Like all of these scenarios recite certain things, be just really good that, that, that were right before God. And they might also believe that their children are guaranteed a place in heaven as long as they are raised in a Christian home. But we can't trust in any of these things. None of us is saved unless personal trust in Christ resides in our hearts. That is a big dividing line. I grew up in a Christian home. And I, the way that I refer to it is I kind of drafted behind my parents' faith, not saying that I had my own faith, but I was being raised up in this type of thinking. But I, was not, I did not have my own faith. Now, I, I kind of have your typical church kid uh, life in regards to when I was about six or seven. I just, all of a sudden it hit me one day, I need to pray a prayer. I need to pray a prayer to God myself to ask him to forgive me of my sin. It just, you know, now I was in church all the time. So therefore I definitely had heard it. But my dad, one thing that I will say is that my parents never coaxed, like, like coached us into saying certain things. Matter of fact, honestly, uh, our, our home life, we, we didn't really, this is gonna sound really bad. We didn't do devotionals. We didn't like sit around with the Bible and like go through the Bible methodically. And you would think so, right? Like the pastor's family. Um, I think we did something that was way more uh, real and realistic and mattered more is we lived it. We lived it. My parents did teach it and I heard it, but it was such a part of our life that there wasn't a contrast between what we said and what we did. And so it made it easy to say, this is, this is good, this is right. This, it was just like, that's why I say drafted in. It was just, this is the way that we live. And, and we, we live a submitted life and a surrendered life to Jesus. And, and so as I got older, uh, when I was six, seven, it was good, right? But I didn't experience a lot of conviction. Then when I was about 12, I had a, a 
what I consider to be the moment for me where I stepped out from behind my parents' faith and just whatever they believe, I just believed and kind of started my own journey. And that progressed till I was about 17 or 18. And again, wasn't quite sure if all of this was real. This is to encourage those of you who maybe have experienced this in your life and even in your adult life. We're gonna get here in a second about doubt, but, but it, is, it is the nature of what we're in. And, and, and I went through this, but, but at some point you come out from behind your parents' faith and you gotta stand on your own two feet. And so some people think because they were raised in a Christian home that they just naturally are a Christian. And that is a, like a very, uh, like a, I guess like a nationalistic view of Christianity, which is I was born in a Christian home. I'm born American, I'm American. I'm, I was in America, I'm American. That's not the way it works with Christianity. You're not born a Christian. You're actually born in chapter one of Romans, unrighteous, separate from God, right? <laughs> Wait. Yes, that's what the Bible says, you know, that we are, we're, we're far from God and that our nature is, okay? So, so then we, we go forward to, to chapter 13, I mean, uh, verse 13, and it says, it was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. And so he sums up this thought with Abraham about, again, reiterates righteousness through faith, which we have talked a lot about over the last few weeks. And now I wanna skip down to verse 18. We're gonna cover 14 through 16, uh, it looks like next week. But verse 18 says, against all hope, Abraham and hope believed. Again, there's that faith in God. He believed and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. I want to encourage you today that denial is not faith. Denying the fact that the situation in front of you is bleak, is difficult, and saying it does not mean that you're, uh, you know, you're, you're super faithful because you don't talk about it. That is bad theology, and that's a bad view of, of how we should operate. Many people, there's, there's a mountain right in front of them, and they're like, nope, the mountain's not there. It's nope. Nope, I don't, I don't see a mountain. Do you see a mountain? And then somebody's like right next to them going. <laughs> you know, there's one there, you know. Abraham was not just, you know, denying that fact. Actually, he was very honest. He faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. Y'all, I've never actually said that about my own body. <laughs> I'm as good as dead. But especially for Abraham in this moment, as far as uh, having a baby, making a baby, it, it was 100 years old. Things were, anyway, <laughs> verse 20, keep moving. <laughs> this is in the Bible, y'all. Like this, I mean, come on. Yet, he did not waver through, or I want you to think of in spite of. He did not waver in spite of unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith, and I love this, and gave glory to God. Being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. Guys, look, as you worship, as you pray, as you read the word of God, as you speak to people around you, did you know that you can be in a pit, 
that you could be in the worst case scenario, but still speak about that pit and that worst case scenario with full faith and full hope, fully persuaded that God is still good and faithful and he will follow through. Did you know that you can do that? You can. You don't wait till the end until it's all good before you give glory to God. That again is becomes works-based. It's carpet before the horse in the same way that we say, isn't it great that I come to God with my rags and he, he gives me his righteousness and that we pray in the same way. God, if I don't see it, you're still faithful. You're still good. And that's how we live our life by faith. It's not naive. It's faith. And this is how Abraham operated. He leaned into God and believed God would come through. And I just wanna encourage you in this, trust in God is a huge component of your relationship with God. Trust in your relationships right now, trust is a huge component. In your marriages, with your kids, it doesn't matter. Trust is, it is the same exact way with God. And we see it all throughout the word of God. God's like, trust me, have faith in me. And those who did not, usually were outside of his plan. They, they ended up on the outs. They ended up trying to do it themselves. And guys, look, anytime that we step in and we try to circumvent God, it ends, up being, um, it ends up being negative. And so trust is this huge example that is set here. And Abraham's faith is the example that's set for us to follow. And so how does this apply to us? What does it look like? I wanna give you quick, three quick ways that Abraham responded to God's call. Number one, he listened to the voice of God. And this isn't on the screen. This is just something that you've gotta either write down or come back later and listen to it. He listened to the voice of God. Then he trusted in the promise of God. And then he obeyed the command of God. He listened, he trusted, and then he obeyed. And in all of our lives, we experience this every day. Every day, there's a moment. Are you listening to God? Are you open to hear his voice, to hear his guidance? You say, how can I hear the voice of God? You know, hello. Does he talk like that? I've never heard the audible voice of God, but I tell you where I do hear his voice from. I do see his guidance is through his word. Whenever I pray, whenever you pray, let me tell you something that happens is you, there, there, clarity is provided for that situation. And most of the time, what the clarity is, is you submitting to God's sovereign plan, no matter what. That's usually, that's how I come out of prayer, is no matter what it is, I'm good with it because I believe that God is good with it. That's what it looks like. And so you trust, you listen, and then you, you trust in who God is and what his plan is. It might be through the word, it might be through a friend, a person, a teaching like this. It, it could come through many different ways, but it's just God guiding. It's the Holy Spirit. He's our comforter. He's our guide. And he's guiding us into all truth. And then we trust in that truth. And then we carry it out in obedience. Obedience. Guys, look, as believers, never think that you can just think something and not act on it. Obedience just shows that you have faith. Obedience just proves it. It's not the other way around, okay? But, but if I have faith and I trust in God, then I'm going to obey. I'm, I'm, it's gonna be a natural byproduct in my life. And so we see that with, with Abraham. And then in verse 22, it says this. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. This is why, because of Abraham's faith. The words, it was credited to him, now listen, were written not for him alone but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness and, uh, and believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. 
This is us, y'all, and this is how it applies. Abraham is the father of faith, and he stepped into the, the promises of God for the Israelites, but it was by faith. But did you know that many people operated in faith all throughout the Bible, and God looked at them, and his favor came upon them? There's really some interesting scenarios in the Bible where, where the Jews were, were leading the way, but there was also other people who were in the favor of God. It was based upon their faith and their trust in God. There's a bunch of stories and you should go, go, go. Let me tell you this. Don't just read the New Testament. I know a lot of you are like, I just read the New Testament. I want you to look at the entire Bible through the lens of grace. I want you to look at the entire Bible through the sovereign plan of God and realize that he has been as good and faithful and loving and graceful in the beginning as he, as he is through Jesus. It, it's the same God. He is the same yesterday. So if anybody ever says, oh, in the Old Testament, God was mean, and in the New Testament, he's nice, they don't understand the Old Testament, all right? So, so really re rein that back and look and realize that God's plan from the beginning has been full of grace and love for his people. And now here we are in Christ and these same promises these same, the same things that God gave to Abram and the Israelites had access to, we have access to in Christ. So it wasn't just for Abraham, it was for all of us who believe. Verse 25, the last verse, he, Jesus our Lord, was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Guys, look, everything starts and ends with faith in God, everything. We just talked about it a couple of weeks ago. The same way that you began your walk with God is the same thing in the same way that you are sustained in your relationship with God. It's by faith, through grace. It's, it's this daily throwing yourself at the feet of Jesus. All that you are, like I'm talking like, like, like you know, what, you, what is it whenever you fall off the, into the water and just, what's it called? Trust fall, yeah, that's, that's one word. No, it's just a belly flop. It's a belly flop. There it is. I wasn't going that deep on that one. Sorry, guys. It's Jesus fall. <laughs> no, it's the belly flop, right? And, uh, and what does it take? It takes a lot of trust to go through the pain. That's kind of a negative. Some of you guys don't feel pain whenever it comes to that. I don't understand it. But what's the moment? What has to happen here? What has to happen here? You just say, hey, here we go. And many people, many people, what do they do? They're like, okay, I'm gonna live this life by faith. And they go like this and they start falling. All of a sudden they curl up and they fall and they, uh, and they do that. And, and let me tell you something. Yes, this is a life of faith that you are daily throwing yourself into the grace of God. You're daily living it by faith. Is there things sometimes that come up that you can't reconcile and can't understand? Absolutely. But what do you do? Trust fall. You just keep falling into the grace of God and you keep, uh, your posture is one that says, God, you know even when I don't. And today I believe that some of you, you you've been teetering and tottering on that line. And, and today's the day where you need to go all in. You need to say, Jesus, I'm yours. Uh, hook, line, and sinker, I'm in. I'm all out for you. And, uh, and because I believe that, that a lot of us, come on, we're in church. A lot of us have teetered and tottered and maybe we're like, ah, I'm not really sure. Uh, uh. But come on, Abraham stepped out in faith based upon the word of God not having anything in his hand to show proof for it. And God counted it to him as righteousness, right standing before God. I wanna pray with you, everybody. Let's go ahead and bow our heads, close our eyes. If you're in this place today, maybe you're watching online, and if you're in Long Beach or Wiggins, all of us together, we are 
We are in the same boat in regards to the necessity that we live our life by faith in God, just like Abraham did. And today, some of you, you have not taken that first step in your relationship with God. And that first step is to say yes to the gospel, is to say, yes, I believe in Jesus. I confess him as, as Lord and as my savior. And some of you need that moment today because God promised all of these things and then he sent his son to this earth to live a perfect and blameless life, to be the atonement, to, to be the sacrifice, the pure sacrifice, to pay the price for all of the sin of mankind. And he offers this free gift of salvation to you. God is already drawing you by his spirit and he's saying, this is truth. And all you have to do is say yes. So if you're in this place, if you're watching online or at any location, if that's you and you don't know Jesus, you don't have a relationship with him right now, just say, Jesus, I surrender all that I am. The good, the, the, the bad, the ugly, the successes, the failures, everything that I have and I thought that I have, I put it at your feet. And God, right now, I receive your righteousness. I thank you for it. I thank you for Jesus' blood that was shed for me to pay the price that I could not pay. I lean into you. I give all that I am. I throw myself into you, into your grace, into your love. And I receive your truth in Jesus' name. Now, right here, as we're all still in an attitude of prayer, I wanna pray for all of us. God, I pray that each and every single believer would understand who you are in a greater way. God, that we would understand your heart for us and that God, we would live day in and day out by faith. God, even like Abraham, where unbelief began to seep in and even whenever there were some things we couldn't reconcile, God, I pray that we would always find ourselves in humility before you. Looking at you as sovereign, as all powerful and as good. We submit our hearts to you. God, let us not fall into any sort of religious activity to try to, to, try to show that we're saved much like the Israelites did with the circumcision. God, let us not look at our, our, our deeds and our actions as, as good and righteous, God, if it's not through the filter of faith. So today, Father, whether we've been saved for, for five minutes or, or, or 50 years, God, we are right back at the place where we started, which is submitted to your grace by faith. In your name we pray, amen. Northwood Church is one church with multiple locations. Uh, we have locations in Gulfport, Wiggins, and Long Beach, and we'd love to see you there. If you enjoyed this message and want to get more info on who we are, just head over to northwood.tv. And once you're there, you can check out all our past sermons and all the things that we're doing in South Mississippi. And even to, to give to support those efforts of reaching more people, be sure to connect with us on social media to stay up to date with everything happening around Northwood Church. Thanks for watching. We hope to see you soon.